Hey, it's Liam from the Early Education Show. We're doing things a bit differently this week. Lisa is braving the heat up in Darwin for the Early Childhood Australia Conference. And given Leanne and I have been left here twiddling our thumbs, we've given Lisa some work to do as our on-the-ground reporter. Now, Lisa has uh, drawn herself away from the poolside and cocktail bar today, thanks Lisa, and performed above and beyond the call of duty. So, we're going to bring you a quick episode with two great interviews. You're going to hear first from Megan Mitchell, the National Children's Commissioner, on the need for educators to explore prejudice, diversity and tolerance with children. And then Geraldine Atkinson from Snake, discussing the potentially devastating impact of the government's Jobs for Families package on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children. Hi, so I'm with Megan Mitchell right now. She's just done a session on her research and the new resources she's developed for early childhood educators about confronting, I believe you don't like, the, or educators don't like to use the term racism. Yeah, well, we did find that that was a more confronting term for them, but they were comfortable enough to deal with the issue of racial prejudice and dealing with diversity. And so I think we really need to understand where people are coming from. We don't want to accuse them of being racist. Um, and that, that then we kind of uh, disconnect them from the conversation. We need to make sure that they're in the conversation. So I think that's the reality of how people feel. Um, but we did uh, find out from our research that a lot of um, educators do find it challenging to deal with instances of racial prejudice um, in, in, the, in the classroom or in the early childhood setting. Um, and that this wasn't just confined to what kids said, it was also what parents said. So, and often kids are reflecting their parental attitudes. So, and I think you yeah. said it was easier for educators to correct or to guide children around the issues, but harder for them to work with parents. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's where they feel it's more challenging. So these resources are not only directed at helping educate children about diversity and feeling comfortable with diversity, it's also about how to approach and uh, manage your interactions with uh, parents who might have you know, views that influence their children's behaviour and attitudes and values. So what are the resources? Tell us a bit about the resources. Well, there's a whole suite of uh, resources. Um, there's posters, there's interactive... Uh, in, there's an interactive... Uh, story um, involving Pax and her diverse group of friends uh, where they explore each other's differences and have adventures etc. So it's engaging for the children. Um, but there's also lesson plans um, and a, a range of other tools for education. I think I just heard a catchy song, is that yeah, right? Yeah, there's a little catchy song about all our colours um, and then I hope that kids will enjoy that. You know, kids learn through songs uh, and they're always wanting to sing and dance, so that's another way. Of I won't ask you to sing it. I know you're suffering <laughs> from a cold right now. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's got a range of stuff. It, you know, it's not, it's not... You don't have to do all of it. Uh, yep. Educators can pick and choose what works for them. And, yep. you know, I know there are other resources out there. A lot of educators are already doing great things as well. So it's really building on what they're already doing and complementing the other resources that are out there. And what prompted you as the Human Rights, uh, sorry, as the Children's Rights Commissioner to focus on um, cultural diversity issues at this time? Oh, well, you know, my role as National Children's Commissioner is motivated uh, by the Convention on the Rights of the Child and our obligations to children. And one of those, one of the really important uh, articles in the Convention relates to non-discrimination. Uh, children have a right not to be discriminated against and they all have a right to be treated fairly and with respect. And this goes to their sense of belonging and inclusion. And that's 
important for their self-worth and their health and well-being right now, but also as they become adults. So this important issue about belonging early in life and within educational settings uh, like early childhood settings sets the foundations uh, for them for the future. And it's also about them carrying um, messages uh, of respect and diversity into the future with them as they and, are rights holders themselves. And also into their homes as well. And I've seen that. Homes, in... I have faith in our children. And if and we have a responsibility to educate children about their own rights because they are born rights holders. And in doing that, it's not about them being precocious and getting what they want all the time. It's about them valuing themselves and others and the rights of others. So it really is about learning respect and healthy yeah. relationships and what and that diversity is a good thing early in life. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs>So here I am with Geraldine Atkinson, who's just from Snake, who's just done a session. Geraldine, tell us what's wrong with the Jobs for Families package for, your, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander-led services. The Jobs for Family package is a, is a mainstream program. It doesn't take into consideration the differences that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander early childhood education and care services provide to the Aboriginal community. It's, if, you, if you listen to what the title is, it's the, it's the uh, Jobs for Family Childcare Subsidy. Isn't it Jobs for Families? We do more than just provide childcare for, that enables our communities to work. And we do. And our community do work and they do use it as a childcare centre. But there are a whole range of... of um, a whole range of, of, of other services or, or other things that our children require that our services provide. Our services provide a holistic service. We provide things that, um, you know, there's, there, we, we, at, at times we have uh, food packages for families that don't have, don't have food. We've done that. We do that because it's, we know that the most important thing is for those children is to be fed. We know our communities, we know our families, we know who can, who can provide for themselves and who, can, who, who can't. We know where we have to give the support and we're able to get it. We access other networks so that we ensure our, 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 that you know, our families are able to get the supports and the services that they require. We know that you know, children will learn in environments where they feel safe, where they feel nurtured, and that's what our services provide, safe, nurturing environments that provide good quality early childhood education and care developmental programs that are suited to our families, that are provided, that are overlaid with culture right throughout them. We provide, culture permeates our centres. We provide language programs, we provide books and puzzles and and everything that are Aboriginal. And Geraldine, let me just get this right. There's 67 budget-based funded Aboriginal services in Australia. Exactly how much would it cost the federal government to support those services in the same way that they do now? What we're saying, if if the government government were able to provide, and we're saying this, we've pulled, you know, we're saying if if it was to provide $100 million per year for all, not just those budget-based services, but the children and family centres as well. And it would also provide additional services that would 
would enable the 15,000 children that the Productivity Commission identified as not accessing any services at all, if they would provide that funding, if they would say to us, there, there's a package that we have, you know, we've put together that out of that 37 or $4 billion that they have for this package, that we can provide within that $100 million over each for four, you know, four-year periods, we would be able to provide the services that our Aboriginal It doesn't seem much out of a $4 billion package, $100 million, does it? Doesn't doesn't seem to me. Why do, why do you think that the government isn't willing to continue to support the services in the way it has? I think it's ideology. I think that they don't believe in separate programs. I, I think it's, it's that they believe that, um, that there shouldn't be separate programs, that we all should be mainstream. Cookie-cutter mainstream ones. Cookie-cutter mainstream, yeah. which is unfortunate because we aren't. Yeah. We're about 1.8% of the population. We've, we've never, ever, we've always been on the lowest ladder, the lowest rung in Australia since and I think you said invasion. during your talk that it's uh, responsibilities of governments to not can not actually widen the gap that already exists. That's right. It's, this it's, one it's seems there. to be doing That's it, exactly doesn't it? That's exactly right. It's their policies, it's governments, you know, government's strategies. They say that, you know, we put in place programs that will narrow the gap. Then why would they look at introducing a program that's going to ensure that it widens, it widens the gap because Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children are going to miss out on early childhood education and care services. I think that's a pretty strong way to finish but can I just ask what is it that you think that the early education sector, the wider early education sector can do to support ca uh, SNAKE's campaign to make sure that... The I think what we really need to do is we, ne we really need to make sure that the whole of Australia, you know, the Australian community knows just exactly what is going to happen within these within this package for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Preferably Islander. before it gets passed. Yes, before <laughs> it gets passed. It's gone to the Senate. But I don't, people don't people don't know. No. People yep. don't know about it and people don't realise the consequences. Okay, well hopefully we can get the message okay. out. Thank, Thank you, you very much. <laughs> A big thanks to Megan Mitchell and Geraldine Atkinson for giving up some of their time at the conference today to chat with Lisa and the podcast. You can follow Megan on Twitter at MeganM4Kids and you can support Geraldine's fantastic advocacy for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children and families by visiting snake.org.au. That's S-N-A-I-C-C. Or following at Snake on Twitter. I'll include links in the show notes. Also, big appreciation for Lisa for wielding her microphone during the day today. Back to the poolside, Lisa. The next cocktail's on us. Lisa is also tweeting her time at the conference, so make sure you're following her at Lisa J. Bryant. All things being well, there'll be another episode from us in your podcast feed of choice tomorrow night. So until then, goodbye.